Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, everybody, Patrick Connor here, and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. Throwing you a little bit of a curveball today, but I guess not really, because we're talking boxing history. But I'm here with my dude, Bryn Jonathan Butler. It's been a couple minutes, but Bryn, writer, author, filmmaker. How's it going, bro? It's going good. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. It's, it's just over 25 years since the second Holyfield Tyson fight. We're going to do both of them, so I'm pumped. You know, I, I think that it's uh, it's obviously a crowd pleaser talking. Well, talking about Mike Tyson, talking about Holyfield in any regard, they're crowd pleasers because people flock to the names. A lot of nostalgia there. A lot of obviously we we're just talking about the pay-per-view buy factor at the time. I mean, it's it's a lot of attention, but there's obviously a lot of kind of retroactive intrigue. Too. There's a lot of psychology and psychoanalysis that went into the fights. And I mean, they were endlessly analyzed beforehand, afterwards. It's it's really interesting how um how much of a cultural phenomena like both of these fights as kind of a, a unit together have have become, and then how both men have kind of in a in a way uh just totally flipped their characters over the last handful of years and rehabbed their characters and personalities and stuff like that and come back into the limelight so anyway it's a big discussion should be a lot of fun but we're going to go over the fights today and the other weird thing is that this shouldn't have been anything this fight was really taken by tyson's people because he was a 25 to 1 favorite because holyfield had looked so awful against our good friend bobby chez who's going to call both of these fights <laughs> Um, you know, this is making me feel a lot better about how I did against Holyfield in there. I'm like, yeah, oh, I love that it's all about him. Every every <laughs> round, bro. Every round. That well, I've guy. quoted it one almost every round too, as we go through the the granular analysis. But but it's it's really interesting. One of the one of the features we've had trouble trying to track down the punch stats from the second fight, but I think we're safe to assume if you look at how many punches were landed by Holyfield against Bobby Chez in five rounds, it's more than the entire amount than what Tyson took in both of these fights. And if you consider that like Tyson was knocked down, like almost knocked down twice um, at the end of the first fight, but the kind of damage that he took from Holyfield compared to the way Chez took it, who was never really in danger of going down and that's part of the reason why Tyson's people thought this is such a safe bet. If Bobby Chez, with no reach, blown up into being a 210-pound opponent for Holyfield, and Holyfield can't do anything to get rid of him, we're going to annihilate this guy. And, of course, it's going to go so far the other direction, which is just so interesting. Just to, I remember where I was watching it going, oh, no. <laughs> this was supposed to be a stepping stone so i get to see Bo, and i get to see all these other people that he that he might fight oh no oh he's never coming back 
man, it was, I actually, I do have more vague memories, but I do remember. I remember, and I especially remember the rematch. I don't remember the first fight as well as I remember the rematch, but I, everybody was watching the rematch. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, just the entire, everything about the event and surrounding event is so wild. Um, and I mean, a, one chunk of it that a lot of people do know and do remember is that going all the way back to the beginning here, going way, way back to the beginning, that they were supposed to have fought before. That the fight, the, every so often you'll go onto eBay, you'll go onto other memorabilia sites, and you'll find some pretty cool memorabilia from uh, at least one of the canceled fights. Generally, it's one. Every so often you'll find some memorabilia from the other canceled one, but that's that one's far more rare. That being said, um, so... Tyson and Holyfield actually knew each other going back into the early 1980s leading up into the 1984 Olympics. Tyson was of course, semi-famously supposed to go to the Olympics. He was a big prospect and et cetera, um, wound up losing to Henry Tillman on the way to the, the Olympics and didn't wind up making it, but I think was supposed to be some alternate or something like that at, at some point. And so he knew Holyfield who went to the Olympics. They knew each other as uh, you know, Holyfield was a light heavyweight, but was a pretty good size light heavyweight at the time. Mike Tyson was already kind of like a heavyweight, but a smaller heavyweight. And so it, it would seem logical that at some point they would thought that they would meet or something like that. And it, I think it had been even written about back, back then briefly. It's not like anybody was really making some big predictions, but they knew each other. They knew each other going way back and they were friendly, no issues. Uh, but then they had initially signed to fight each other in January of 1990. They were going to fight in June of 1990. Um, and of course, Tyson Douglas, we've talked about this before, but it was initially dismissed as a fight that nobody wanted to see. Nobody wanted to see Tyson Douglas. Um, and actually, Tyson Holyfield was a fight that was more or less being dismissed even in 1990 as a, the fight not really anybody wanted to see, almost every single mainstream publication was saying, get this Holyfield shit out of here. Get George Foreman. We need to see Tyson Foreman. What's going on with Tyson Foreman? That's the matchup everybody wants to see. Like for a while, people were talking about that. Um, but obviously Tyson loses to Buster Douglas. And then Holyfield Tyson again was supposed to happen in 1991. And so another actually podcast you and I had done about uh Holyfield Foreman this was a couple of years ago but we talked about like the politics and the backstory behind it and stuff like that I don't think it's on YouTube but you can go back and find the audio version no problem um but in any case Holyfield made a staggering amount of money for that fight against Foreman 20 million dollars uh, that was in April 1991 um and like I said it wound up being kind of surprisingly entertaining almost everybody involved with Holyfield Foreman thought that there was going to be a rematch of that fight. There was a shitload of money involved, did a lot of buys. Uh, there was a lot of momentum for Foreman's comeback and stuff like that. He was a big name. There was a lot of commercial success. Um, and so initially Holyfield Tyson negotiations, negotiations had fallen through. Um, well, sorry, actually we, we actually also had done a podcast about Razor Ruddock. A while back too so mm -hmm. I, I i skipped that in the wake of tyson losing to douglas he fights donovan ruddock razor ruddock twice 
knocked him down a few times, got a little dirty or in a kind of a questionable stoppage in the first fight, uh, got tied up into the rematch. And so both of those fights and pretty much all of these things separately were doing good money, very popular. And Holyfield Tyson negotiations had fallen through because Don King demanded 50%, I guess, for the fight. And then, and then kind of was like, okay, okay. And then went to 55, 45 for Holyfield and then backed off because he got the WBC to get involved and order a 60, 40 split for Holyfield while the other organizations were more in favor of the conventional 75, 25 split. And so clearly early on, Don King was trying to pull some shit, which is pretty hilarious with, with this matchup that didn't even wind up going through. So anyway, um, uh, in late June, early July, Holyfield Tyson negotiations ended. The fight was announced for November of 1991. Foreman and Top Rank were apparently super pissed off because they were in active negotiations for the Holyfield rematch when it was when Tyson Holyfield was announced for 1991. And then in late July, news hit that Tyson had been accused of rape in Indianapolis. Uh, a bunch of legal ex experts and stuff like that were consulted and were like, no, the fight shouldn't go through, but it still did go through. And that kind of screwed Foreman in the meanwhile. Um, yeah. And I mean, things just kind of devolved from there. Yeah. You, you had the rape, you had a Tyson injury that delayed the fight just, uh, just before the, the rape trial in interrupted it. And I mean, another thing that was interesting researching this going into it, which I don't think I'd really done as closely before, is if you look at the opponents leading up to this fight, it, it paints a very interesting picture that I think totally imbues the perception. Because one of the things I think is an interesting angle for us to discuss about this fight, and it, even more so after re-watching the fights, is this is less a fight about the grandeur of the chemistry of these two guys than it is about deconstructing the myth of Mike Tyson, that the drama of the fight is largely that what was it about Tyson to lead him to be a 25 to one favorite going into this? And how much did that have to do with his actual ability at the time? And maybe how, and I'm not really sure how much in, in this way, how much we underestimated Holyfield. Because if you look at his resume, it's one thing that I think contributes to Holyfield's kind of murky, weird legacy. Nobody disputes that he's an all-time great. Of course he is. But I think one of the issues we have about pitting him against any great fighter is his inability to really separate himself from the greats. He was not dominant ever, which actually contributes to why he was so exciting as a fighter. But when you think of the wars that you remember him having, there's 10 more <laughs> you haven't seen yet. Like, when, like going through, leading up to Tyson, after he knocks out Douglas, and he knocks out a Douglas who's pretty overweight, there was a big legal hassle there, Douglas was really not motivated for the fight, the Douglas that you saw against Tyson is banging the canvas when he gets knocked down to get up, that guy, the moment he got knocked out, you can almost see it in his head, he's thinking, I just made over $20 million for this, it's fine, it's, I'm fine for the rest of my life, he just doesn't really care. He can rest on the laurels of Mike Tyson. They're still doing documentary after documentary about, about his victory and all, all of that. So it was so uh, quiet in that arena, you could hear a rat piss on cotton. 
Right. Yeah. 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 So yeah, and there and there's Don King sitting next to Donald Trump, <laughs> watching front row, and Mike Marley not far behind. So you see Holyfield responding to this uppercut, landing a counter right hand, but he was not like leading the dance of that fight. Holyfield always has problems when he has to lead the dance and be the aggressor in fights. And we're going to see a lot of why that contributed to, I think, Tyson's people mistakenly think this is going to be an easy walkover. After Douglas, he fights Foreman. Way more challenging fight to Holyfield than I think anybody anticipated. It's where Foreman became solidified as being taken seriously. He stopped being Butterbean in the, in the public's perception after that fight because it was like, whoa, you watch the last 30 seconds of that fight. Holyfield just wants to grab him. He doesn't even, this, I don't want to be hit by that anymore. I, it wasn't really an interview, but I did spend about 40 minutes with Holyfield once in Miami at the so-called heavyweight factory with Shannon Briggs. Far and away, when you ask him who hits the hardest, it was George Foreman. That fight, he said, every time he hit me, it was just like sticking my finger in an electrical socket. He, he, he got hurt in that fight. And even when he wasn't stumbling around, he didn't really want any part of George Foreman. I'm not, I'm not saying he was afraid, but I just mean that was totally. really, really tough. So full credit to him for pulling that off. Yeah, standing in there and just taking shots on George Foreman Fuck doesn't make yeah. you tough. That makes you fucking dumb. You yeah, know? right, right, right. But I mean, you rewatch that fight, and I mean, Foreman, as slow as he is, whenever he's connecting, you can see the look on Evander's face. The only other time you see it is when he fights James Tony, where it's like, ooh, I don't like this. Like, this guy wants to be here, and nobody that fights me really wants to be here because I'm annoying to fight. I counter with three or four punches when they land two. Like, nobody likes to be around that. And he's got so much willpower and perhaps additional inspiration beyond spirituality and, and his emotional <laughs> fortitude. Um, next fight, Burt Cooper. It's kind of his version of Buster Douglas. This is going to be an easy walkover. It's a journeyman. Burt Cooper... If things had been a little bit different, Holyfield gets bashed into the ropes. He has a very, Cooper has a very sneaky right hand. It almost could have happened where Holyfield would have been knocked out in that fight by somebody that I don't even think they would take bets on that, that kind of fight. So that was very interesting where you think Holyfield, who's undefeated at that point, he's annihilated Douglas. Uh, he's, he's done great against Foreman, but you're like, whoa. Is this guy really fit to be a heavyweight? This guy was a light heavyweight. Okay, he's the first unified cruiserweight. But the Cooper thing brings up a bit of doubt with Holyfield. Like He did not look great in that fight. He's fighting in front of his hometown. And moreover, he is finally trying to act like a dominant heavyweight champion. And what happens? He almost gets knocked out by a nobody. Next fight, we get Larry Holmes. Again, doesn't really look great. You, you, you know, we're, we're comparing him a lot as he was doing as well to Mike Tyson's performances against similar opponents or the same opponents, I should say. So it doesn't look great. Wins, wins pretty easily. Riddick Bow. The amount of damage that Holyfield takes in that fight is extraordinary. It's the best bow ever looked. It's the best bow ever would look. Um, then we get to Michael Moore taking that loss. Ray Mercer, first guy ever to knock Mercer down. And then we're going to see another theme that we'll see with Tyson is as soon as Mercer takes a knee in the eighth round after getting hit with some vicious shots by Holyfield, Holyfield swings in a way that makes Roy Jones DQ loss to Montel Griffin just look like patty cake, just 
winds up to nail him when he's got the knee, misses, so he's not DQ'd, because you have to hit to, to qualify for the disqualification. It doesn't matter your intent. <laughs> and then we get to the fight just before Tyson, which is Bobby Chez, where he looks awful awful against Bobby Chess, who can't really do anything as a heavyweight. He's got 68 inch arms, like in terms of his reach, he is just beyond wearing the men's a towel and probably being propped up on a lot of alcohol on the way to the arena, not able to do anything against Holyfield, but Holyfield cannot really hurt him. Certainly can't put him away. And then there's some mysterious stuff in his eyes that's stinging his eyes. He, you know, he, there was never any proof that there was anything wrong with a substance that was on Holyfield's body. Everybody was checking it. The referee was literally swiping his hand on Holyfield's chest and in, in, and in Chess's eye. Put it I in know what eye. that substance was. Jack <laughs> Daniels. <laughs> Jack Daniels. <laughs> That's the one thing they didn't account no, it was, for. It was a situation like Weekend at Bernie's. They had Chess propped up. It was Weekend at Bobby's. <laughs> so so the chess fight he looks so awful that that is this deciding factor where tyson's people say this is a perfect way for you to look great why is that because tyson's lead up to holyfield you go the two fights you mentioned against ruddock which were brutal fights where tyson clearly is deteriorating from the guy who wiped out spinks tyson is becoming a slugger he still has the hand speed. He still has the power, but you're noticing he's not finding angles before he lands these great punches. His doing, a grappling, is, doing a lot of grappling, doing a lot of pushing grappling. and shoving. He's very dirty, not as dirty as Holyfield, in my opinion, but he's very dirty. Like whenever he can land a forearm, he's going to. Um, you see that kind of arm bar he does a lot more. You're going to see it against Botha and a number of other people. Um, and then, and then he goes to jail after these two fights, and he takes some. It, both of those fights were controversial. The first stoppage obviously looked very corrupt, with with the referee and Don King's relationship to the referee. Second fight, still, he doesn't look great. He's just becoming a puncher who is not just doesn't demonstrate the kind of brilliant defense, foot speed, and technique that I think has allowed him. The, the second part of his career post prison has kind of overshadowed, I think, how good he was at the beginning where even people landing a punch on Tyson was an event. And that, that all changed the first time he, he fought Frank Bruno. And there was a vicious uppercut that almost dropped him, but it was sort of like, Ooh, without Kevin Rooney in the corner and where he's at with money and fame and all of that, Tyson is becoming a different guy. And, and in my view, he kind of has become like the Marlon Brando of boxing in that he clearly has more potential than just about anybody who walked in at 18 ever had but he also just didn't realize the potential because of a lack of discipline and a lot of issues that were there. So I think he's simultaneously very overrated and also very underrated in interesting ways, which will play out in, in, in very intriguing fashion in this fight. So he comes back from, from the, the rape conviction, Peter McNeely, a 9,000 to one underdog. Um, still Tyson looks weird in that fight. The Buster Mathis Jr. fight, he does not look good. They put it on regular TV. It was on Fox. Um, it, it just clearly looks like, oh, like, I don't know that Tyson is ever going to come back, but he's telling us he's better than he's ever been. And it seems like a huge segment of the boxing public is believing it. Um, fights Bruno, wins, wins his title back, the WBC title fights Selden where he doesn't even land a punch and, and wins the WBA title. 
And that takes us to Holyfield, where I think he was just assuming this is just going to be a nothing fight. If that's how he looks against Bobby Chez, I'm going to walk all over him. Nonetheless, Tyson's mystique is back. This fight sells 1.59 million pay-per-view buys. It's a gigantic event. And Tyson mania uh, somehow is even bigger after the rape conviction than I think he was um, after Spinks, like at his apex of ability. So just, I don't know, just kind of revisiting the opponents and everything. It's weird that like when you actually start this fight and you're like, other than the first punch that Tyson throws, which is a straight right, Holyfield was anticipating a hook. It's the only time that Holyfield really gets buzzed. And for the rest of the fight, Holyfield basically controls it. So suddenly it was like, like I just remember, I wanted to hear what you, what you thought. I was like, surely this is going to get back on track for the guy, but it doesn't. Like rewinding slightly, um, just to kind of complete the picture as far as like why this was put together, George Foreman was kind of waiting out the Holyfield rematch. But while he was waiting out the rematch, he was a little bit inactive and then wind up having that fiasco against Alex Stewart, where he just looked like absolute hell. You know, he looked like he got into a car accident or something like that afterward. Yeah. And, and a lot of people were very surprised that he looked that way against Alex Stewart. And so that I think kind of killed the momentum for, you know, his shot at Holyfield for a rematch. But then, like you said, Holyfield fights Burt Cooper almost totally pays the price for fighting him instead of Tyson. But I think it also became increasingly clear that Tyson was going to be tied up in the legal system one way or another, and they just didn't want to depend on what was going on. But 92 to 96, Holyfield runs that gauntlet. The Riddick Bow trilogy clearly took something out of him. Um, it was just, I think, overestimated what it was that it took out of him. Michael Moore, Ray Mercer, uh, of course, uh, the absolute peak, Bobby Chez. But like you said, Tyson getting maneuvered to these world titles was still very much an illusion. And there was just in these moments, these kind of brief moments that Tyson had against these, this, you know, gaggle of characters was enough to convince a lot of people, including a lot of pundits and fucking experts and everything that Tyson was back, that he was better than ever. And then blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, I mean, there's obviously a lot of hindsight going on. We know better now, but at the same time, it's like you couldn't, you guys couldn't just with the eye test see that this was going on here at the time. Come on, you guys. But no, it, it was, um, it was also, there was a little bit of animosity going into the fight because supposedly, uh, according to Tyson and according to Tyson's team, Holyfield had made a claim uh, earlier on before Tyson's conviction. Holyfield had said, I won't fight a rapist, according to Mike Tyson's team. And Holyfield basically said, that's not even remotely true. Tyson's team is literally making that up to rile him up for this fight. Like they're having to get him up for this fight. And I, uh, you know, I, I sent you a quote too for one of the pre-fight shows that I watched for that I rewatched. I don't remember this from back then. I rewatched it. It's on YouTube. Um, one of the pre-fight quotes that I mean, I'm sorry to chal to to call him out because I'm not. That's not my intention. I'm not trying to like call people out. I'm just saying this is who said it. But it was Charlie Steiner on this pre-fight show with Al Albert, Charlie Steiner, I, or, or you know, it was like a whole host of people kind of going through this for Showtime, and then somebody else. 
and he says, Holyfield fights for the love of the game. Tyson fights with this sort of pent-up rage. And I was just shaking my head going like, what? Dude, they're just throwing every cliche out of there. Tyson's got the bully mentality. Holyfield has more wear and tear. At one point, they even said Tyson's prison stint has made him fresher because he's been sitting out. <laughs> right. Jesus. And so, I mean, it was just it's so delusional. And obviously, like I said, hindsight 2020, we know better than these guys knew in the moment, but it was, it's just very cringeworthy, needless to say. Ironically, on this first card, this first Holyfield Tyson card uh, in November 96, the WBA, WBO, and, and IBF heavyweight titles were all contested on the card mm. in different fights. So, I mean, <laughs> in, in a way, it's like uh, both an indictment of the heavyweight division and also a celebration of it with the Holyfield-Tyson fight, which is a culmination of, you know, this fight has taken so long to come together and it's a massive fight. But then also they have these other, these other foos on the fucking undercard just fighting whatever for these other world titles that they're also calling legitimate. At this, you know, it's, it's a bunch of hooey. But that being said, um, uh, one thing I noticed, sorry, I, I didn't mean to kind of rewind too much, but getting back mm -hmm. to the fight, one thing that I had noticed very early on, you know, you're talking to a couple minutes ago about how dirty Holyfield looked. Um, there's always going to be that kind of line. People can describe levels of dirtiness differently. At some point, people just call it crafty or thrifty or smart or some shit. You know, they got a lot of guile or whatever. But Holyfield's doing a lot of stuff like when they're in the clinch, he's going like this with his glove and grabbing Mike Tyson's forearms with his gloves. He's doing a lot of stuff like uh, physically pushing Mike Tyson back, which is something you're not supposed to be allowed to do. You know, you, you punch, you don't push, you don't right. push off. Um, you're supposed to get warnings for that. And so... I, I don't want to just open talking about the fight whining about Holyfield's dirtiness, but it becomes very apparent from that, the absolute outset that Holyfield's going to be intent on pushing Tyson around using physically. And that's, I think something that a lot of people forget is that Mike Tyson's like not a super big guy. You know, he seems big, but he's like, I'm a little taller than him. I think. He's obviously much better shape and fucking would kill me. But needless to say, like, he's not a big dude. Holyfield's like six one and a half, six two, uh, maybe outweighs Tyson a little bit or around the same weight, but he's got the physical dimensions on him and is just pushing him off at just about every turn. Uh, anyway, in the first minute of the fight, I was also a little bit surprised by how many clean shots they actually both got in on each other. It started out pretty, pretty good. I was like, wow this started out nice yeah i mean one little thing leading into this that i think is interesting is almost every boxing writer who was polled predicted tyson was going to just walk away with this yep ron borges <laughs> was a big exception to this um because it lives on it to this day lives on to this day and i mean we'll get into it because teddy atlas gets all this credit for picking the second fight and what happened and we never bring up that he also predicted Michael Spinks would beat Tyson in 88. And so it's like, which one counts more in terms of his prog prognosticator abilities? Um, so Borges 
witnessed the confrontation 12 years before the fight in 84. You were saying before that they knew each other going into the, the Olympics of that year. And he said, one of the things I knew dating back to when Holyfield and Tyson were amateurs was the pool table incident. One night they were all playing pool at the Olympic Training Center in 84. And it was one of those deals where if you lost, you gave up the table. Tyson lost and it was Holyfield's turn to play. And Tyson tried to bully him. Holyfield walked up to Tyson, didn't say a word, and took the cue stick from him. Tyson left the room, and nobody saw him for the rest of the night. I always had it in the back of my mind that Tyson knew if there was one guy he couldn't intimidate, it was Holyfield. Interesting, going into this, because just what you're saying, and it's absolutely true, Holyfield, made, Holyfield did sparring with David Tua extensively going into this fight because of the similar dimensions. Yep, I, I mean, think both Tua, main events fighters, yeah. That's it. So I think also Tua probably had objectively a better left hook than Tyson at that time. Like I think a heavier puncher. Tyson was better at finding angles to hit people with better hand speed where they didn't see the punch coming. So you might have a more dramatic effect. But some of the stuff Tua was doing, you punching through the guard of people, like you don't really see a lot of those with Tyson. Tyson, I, again, very underappreciated for his foot speed to get create angles in a very similar way to Lomachenko actually, except he's so much bigger where he's really loading up when there's no chance for the opponent to hit him. Um, it, and it, it's really underappreciated because we're just so dazzled by the hand speed and, and the impact of these blows. We don't see how he's creating. The angles. Yeah. The angles and he's he used creating his all legs and hand speed to create angles. The, the footwork that is to create angles earlier Absolutely. on in his career, like to push a guy back against the ropes but then work the body, but then now he's used to you going boom, boom, boom. And then just to, to just go, you know, change that angle. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh shit. Like now it's coming from a totally different place. That's yeah. bewildering. And if you watch him carefully, really just before like Spinks and before he is a pressure counter puncher. He is, he is not a puncher. He is always looking to counter. It's the pressure that we assume includes the punching, but it doesn't. It's how he sets up those shots with the footwork. As soon as the person opens up, they, they are not in any way like halting the threat. They're opening themselves up to way more. Yeah, like you want to talk about pure puncher. We already mentioned one, Foreman. You know, Foreman. Like look at the difference between their delivery. Very Absolutely. different. Absolutely. And obviously Tyson was a much more disciplined athlete for the most part than Tua. Tua pretty early in his career is battling weight issues in a very serious way. So was Tyson, but he was still able to maintain the same weight for much longer in his career than Tua. Tua really was losing that battle pretty badly. Or like even before he was in his late twenties, he just like 220, 230, 240 for a guy who was probably a couple inches shorter than Tyson. And well, so anyway, so I think Holyfield did absolutely the right thing to deal with somebody as dangerous at that point as Tua. Tua, Tua obviously had taken out Ruiz in 10 seconds at the battle of the next great heavyweights kind of thing. Nobody ever did anything like that to John Ruiz throughout his entire career, except to it. You could argue it was kind of lucky, but still it was an amazing feat. And Holyfield, I watched some of the sparring before, before talking to you. And I mean, Holyfield is handling to it really, really well. They never fought as pros, but it's, it's really impressive. And the other thing that he made was a real conscious decision is which, which Buster Douglas demonstrated is Tyson doesn't know what to do if he's backing up. The moment somebody is standing up to him and he's backing up, every single time in his career, he loses. Every time. He, he doesn't have the big comeback 
knockout kind of thing. If, if he starts determining that the person he's fighting is fighting to win, um, he's got real problems every time in his career, even if it's Kevin McBride or, or Danny Williams, you can see it on Tyson's face. He does not deal with it. Well, there is the bully mentality to him, which isn't to say he didn't have guts. The beating he took against Buster Douglas showed a lot of heart. He, he did not have to stay in there for a real beating or the Ruddock fights. But I think what Holyfield did psychologically was make some decisions strategically that he was able to execute, which took a lot of bravery and courage and, and skill and maybe some supplemental support from something. I, I don't know. Um, call it spiritual, you know, belief, faith or whatever. Um, but yeah, after Tyson lands this first punch that really shakes Holyfield, Holyfield gathers himself and it's abundantly clear that he's the stronger fighter. And you can see Tyson is not comfortable being pushed around and that his intimidation and mystique is not impacting Holyfield the way it's impacting everybody watching the fight. So that was fun to, to, to rewatch because I remember it in real time thinking, no, no, we got to get back to what Tyson did with that first punch that rocked Holyfield. This, this has to, what we saw what Bobby Ches meant to, to, to Holyfield. Tyson's going to knock him out in the first round. And then what it kind of was like was Holyfield is showing you what this fight is, but you just don't want to believe it. And it's going to carry, it sets the tone of where this fight is headed, his composure, his poise, his nerve. Um, Holy, Holyfield is just backing him up and it's, it's going to be a one-sided fight for almost the entire duration after this. The poise and the nerve. I think that's, that's, those are really key because like you said, it, it does take, and now granted, you're going to have a lot of confidence in your ability if you are, uh, you know, taking fucking steroids. <laughs> like, look, dude, like, let's not mince words. It is what it is. Uh, we, now, we now know in retrospect that not just to single out Holyfield, a lot of fighters, not, and not just heavyweights either, probably a lot of fighters were getting some extracurricular support here. But that being said, if you have more money, you're probably going to have more money for the better shit. And so... Uh, that is probably going to help in the confidence uh, arena there. But that being said, you still have to get in there and execute. You still have to stand in there. You still have to put in the work. And he did. He put in the work before the fight. He maintained, I mean, you can't just take steroids and whoopee, you know, you're fucking good. That's not the way it works. We know that's not the way it works. But that being said, you know, he, you do put in the work. You do have to stand in there and execute. And he did. He stood in there and he took whatever it was Tyson was giving him. It wasn't like he was just standing there to be hit, but um, he was, he's extremely adept at pull countering, catch countering and shit like that. And uh, taking the mustard off of shots with his head movement. That's something Holyfield's always been really underrated at. Um, yeah, he's definitely at times a pressure fighter and totally difficult to deal with needless to say. But it's not just that. If it were just that, he would have been far more easy to beat throughout his career. It's not just that. He had good hand speed himself. He had very good ability. He had a really good jab, a good ability to read what the opponent was giving him, and also a, a counterpuncher like Tyson who preferred to counterpunch. He didn't want to lead, like you said earlier. Holyfield doesn't do as well when he's forced to lead. Uh, he's, he struggled throughout his career. And even at times in that first Cowie fight, the when he uh, won the Cruiserweight title, he even at times during that fight 
struggled against Cowie, who made him lead and then you know, turned into a war. Holyfield wanted that. But anyway, long story short, after that first round, it was clear that Holyfield was willing to stand in there, was willing to, to stand in there for those countering opportunities. And by the end of the round, it was Tyson who was initiating most of the clinches. And of course, uh, the bully mentality thing probably becomes cliche and gets a little overwrought, but it is true. That's, it doesn't make it any less true. And even going into Holyfield's corner right after the first round, the first thing his corner said to him is, you the bully in there, he ain't the bully. So this, this has literally become a theme, you know, even during the fight, his corner saying like that, that that's not, what's going to happen. You're going to be the bully in there. And that's precisely what he wound up doing. Um, One thing that I had said to you before we started recording and we're kind of briefly talking about the fight and kind of what we had or fights and what we had seen was that there were actually moments from Tyson, more moments of success than I remember there being. Uh, watching it back because I've seen the fights a handful of times since then Um, but Tyson did actually land a number of very clean lead left hooks in round two that kind of made Holyfield hesitant for just a moment like it like made him kind of think like oh you know he's not just going to kind of come in and try to bully me around he's actually landing some good shots from this mid-range but at the same time one of the issues was just stylistically on a stylistic level there's so many collisions there's so many just like they're coming in and just going boom, locking up, boom, you know, like it was just like automatic. Like they just were two puzzle pieces that went. Bang. And so that wound up also playing into the fight where uh, the commentators, even at the time, were like, you know, what are they doing? Is one of these guys going to tire out if they're sitting there grappling this whole time? And that is kind of what wound up happening. But it was clear that the momentum was sliding in Holyfield's favor because Tyson was starting to kind of get pushed around in the clinch was starting to get grabbed a little bit more in the clinch. And it was clear, at least to me, that Holyfield knew what he was doing as far as infighting more than Tyson did, who was just relying on kind of like trying to land the bombs on the way in rather than doing much inside. And that's kind of that gambit. That's that that's that thing that Holyfield sucks you into in a lot of those fights where he will counterpunch the shit out of you inside and then hold you and then headbutt you and elbow you and it becomes really frustrating and that's that's exactly the road it went down yeah and and i think also i mean when we're talking before like parsing what makes a fighter crafty versus being dirty i do think holyfield is a very adept crafty fighter but i also think he's very dirty he almost always is punching after the bell he's always looking for every edge he can even in the dirty tactics he's using his head in a way that clearly is trying to gain an advantage he hits after the bell with no no compunction whatsoever he clearly doesn't care and he just wants that advantage psychologically and just landing something and it, and it 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 gets him great purchase in this fight because tyson is trying to psych people out because fundamentally tyson is psyched out at this point in his career he has admitted you watch the james toback documentary and some other places he knew after he got out of jail he was not the same fighter He knew it, and he knew he could never become the same fighter. So he gets this great physique to give the impression he's in better shape than he's ever been, but he's not in boxing shape. He's in sort of workout shape where he, you know, he's phenomenal genetics. But as we're saying, 
Tyson is much easier to deal with for Holyfield here, and Holyfield's admitted this, than he was earlier in his career, where the head movement was so focused, where the defense was so dialed in, where he was never getting hit. But this Tyson is very much come straight forward and try to land something with his exceptional hand speed, but he's not creating angles. So it's much easier for Holyfield to contend with. He's the bigger man, not maybe not weight. They're about the same weight, but he's taller. He's got longer arms. And he also just has more of a desire to win this fight than Tyson. As I say, Tyson's trying to get a psychological edge because he's lacking an edge because he knows he's a bit of a fraud at this point in his career. And it's not me saying it, he's admitted it. So the one person who I think has the real insight about this fight after the first round two, probably the smartest person who's ever weighed in on this, happened to be commentating one Bobby Chez who said after the first round, Holyfield cannot stand and slug with Mike for the long haul. It's just not his fight. So keep that in mind, because that is not a recipe for Holyfield in this fight to win this fight, except for the fact that that's absolutely what he would get do. Get on your bike. And it works. <laughs> get on your bike, Holyfield. <laughs> so the second round, as you were saying, Holyfield charges in, and you can just see his confidence, and you can also, especially rewatching it, See, whole, see Tyson noting his confidence. Holyfield is like, I belong here and I'm the better fighter and I'm looking forward to where this is going. And you can see Tyson, every one of those punches he's throwing is, please go away. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be in front of these people. I don't want to be in front of you. There's a part of him that is just looking for a way out as, as Teddy Atlas likes to say, but you can just see it a little bit. And psychologically, that is going to wear down your energy if you don't want to be there. As, as, as Tyson said about Ali, the most dangerous kind of fighter there is, is a happy fighter. Tyson is not a happy fighter at this point. He was earlier in his career, but he's not here. And so Bobby Chez again, second round, says, Holyfield can't fight in the inside with Mike. Don't think anyone can. Except that Holyfield does. And ultimately, like, it's one of the major deciding factors of him achieving dominance going into it. Uh, <laughs> um, and with one minute left, I thought uh, Tyson looked stunned mm -hmm. at, at one point. And, um, you know, so it's just I just remember watching this in real time, just thinking, oh, God, I, I think Tyson is going to kind of like with Douglas something is wrong here. Am I actually watching the real fight? Because Holyfield is taking this thing away. I agree. I, I noted that. I said um, a combination may have rattled Tyson and sent him into the ropes. And then he lashed out with a couple of right hands when Holyfield tried to move forward. So it's kind of tough to say. So Holyfield didn't really get much done with it, but clearly won the round. Well, and again, the best person to sum this up is the smartest person who is evaluating it. Bobby Chess said, Tyson is being fought tonight. That's exactly what was happening. It's, these two men are in an arena. <laughs> it's, the, it's, the old, it's the old David Diamante, you know. <laughs> We're here on planet Earth. <laughs> I've got my keys. I'm still at the bar. And... I'm going to get behind the wheel. I said, are we going to have some pugilism on this evening? Yeah. 
just the you gotta you gotta make sure to let the audience know that they're alive and this is reality so the, the tyson's reality though that shit was man it was just i can't one of the funniest things about this watching back was i just i even watching it back before like re-watching it i was kind of just like oh you know I, that that would suck you know maybe holyfield was in there and he was feeling like he was against the world or something like that but pretty much the entire time more fans were chanting for holyfield than yeah, for tyson he won the, he won the, the entire time like You're i mean absolutely- I was so in round three, it started to become, I think, a little bit more clear uh, that like the it was obviously the momentum was going that way. But there was more cheers for Holyfield, more moments for Holyfield. Um, However, one thing did happen, and that's that uh, Halpern warned Holyfield for using his head. He said he kept saying, watch his head, giving him warnings for watching his head. Um. But another thing was that Holyfield was kind of creeping his tactics, like I had talked about with maneuvering his gloves around inside. He kept tying Tyson up in a way that was, I mean, if that were me in there, if I, and if I were Tyson, and granted, it's a fight, it's a rough fight, it's not like some gentlemanly thing, I would have been, I would have been getting frustrated. Like legitimately, I would have been like, fuck, like I'm just trying to get my hands free in here so I can do something when in reality, we know that Tyson was also kind of uh, acquiescing on some level to it. And yeah. just kind of, it was a little bit of a show that he wanted to get free and do something because when he was free, he wasn't doing shit. So, so we can, we can know that that's not really true, but even so just the, the illusion of it, like the, uh, the look of it, it did definitely look like Holyfield was starting to get into a thing where it's almost like you're playing fucking, wreck soccer and you start beating the other team 10 zip and instead of laying up you get to like 72 zero you know what i'm saying it's like you already have the advantage why are you still continuing to like tie him up that way but in any case he was pressing the issue into round three holyfield was clearly pressing that he was gonna he was gonna dominate this yeah and i mean another thing to remember tyson's 222 pounds here okay it's only five pounds away from his ideal weight he still looks great but he's not in peak condition He's, not, he's just not training the same way. And he, he uses it as, a, as an excuse after the fact quite regularly, just saying, like, I never trained for that fight or whatever, as if it makes him sound like, again, we're wondering about his potential instead of what he's actually submitting of it. So like he's bragging about being undisciplined to account for these losses. But I think you see it in that early Tyson is just so quick-footed, active, and kind of bouncy and this Tyson is very flat-footed, all the more so in contrast to Holyfield, who at the beginning of round three, his activity is demonstrably better than Tyson's. He, he is enjoying throwing a lot of punches at Tyson. Tyson is pot-shotting. Uh, all of the clinching is demonstrating Ty- Holyfield's ability to just move Tyson wherever he wants him. Tyson's not really fighting back, so either he's conserving energy or he's just overpowered. Um, and Holyfield bouncing at this point. You can see him. He's starting to move as if he's skipping around the ring, whereas Tyson just looks very heavy-footed at this point, which is kind of interesting because, I mean, Holyfield is a little older. Um, Tyson is 30 at this point. Holyfield's 34. But Tyson looks like an old 30. 
sort of like Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier aged a lot towards the end of his career because that style is a young man's style. It, it's just not lending itself to uh, what a Klitschko can do or a Lennox Lewis or, or even like an Ali their skill set and their their anatomy is going to allow them to endure for a lot longer than Tyson, which is all like muscle twitch fiber, you know, explosion sort of thing. So if Tyson loses his speed, as you mentioned, he's a very, very small heavyweight, even against Holyfield, who himself is small. Um, again, I just have to quote the esteemed Bobby Chez in the third round, who interestingly said, the tail end of my honeymoon and I flew back in 1991 to see Tyson Holyfield, but it didn't happen. That's what it is. He's harboring a, a honeymoon grudge. I knew it. I'm sure his wife was fully supportive of Chez. Just get the fuck away from me, Bobby. Oh, my God, dude. I can't even. My, <laughs> my <laughs> wife would fucking gut me like a pig. Holy shit. Wowzers. Well, yeah. good good luck to him, but I mean that'd be fucked up on that one. But I just but, like that that that's what I need to be thinking about as I'm watching this fight is Bobby Chez's honeymoon in 1991. What a weirdo, bro. Mensa can teach you all sorts of quadratic equations, but they can't teach you not to be socially fucking weird. <laughs> we need to I sent you some pictures of him wearing the Mensa towel against Holyfield. Please post it in conjunction with this fight, given he is an announcer for both fights. Well, uh, yeah. Technically a representative for Mensa at this rate, you know, a legal representative. If not the ambassador. So like, like let's get to round four. Um, so this is now the longest fight that Tyson has had since being released from prison. <laughs> kind of a weird thought. Um, but Holyfield is just showing the better hand speed. He's first to the punch whenever he wants. And his holding is just becoming more and more effective, as you're saying about Tyson acquiescing. Um, but now Holyfield is starting to open up. He's not just trying to get first of the punch. He's trying to land some heavier stuff. And he lands two big shots clearly mid-round. Tyson slips, but he's just lethargic at this point, even though it's only round four. And there's non-existent foot speed. He's never creating any angles in this fight whatsoever. And I don't think that's all credit to Holyfield. I just think it's a very diminished Tyson. I just don't think people were really seeing him for who he was. The mystique and the way he was marketing himself was taking over the narrative. We were not trusting our eyes. We were not believing what we were seeing. We were seeing what we were believing. And this round is where I think I was really understanding, watching this when I was 18, he's fucked. He's fucked. Yeah, he, uh, the holding, like you said, was really, it was becoming, I don't want to say incessant because that wasn't necessarily what was winning the rounds for Holyfield, but what he was doing was just disallowing any opportunity for Tyson to get anything going. He was totally blunting his momentum and, and using the mo his holding to do it. Like he was going one, two, and then following in to hold. So Tyson yeah. couldn't do anything. And I mean, I, I don't like that style. That's not a fun style. It's shitty and it's very negative uh, as far as like offense goes, but at the same time, it's effective. It is very, it, that's what tired Tyson out. It was, it's what started also kind of pissing him off. And like you said, I thought that he had kind of stunned Tyson briefly in that fourth round, 
So, you know, through four rounds here, you have four rounds fairly clearly for Holyfield. Um, I mean, there are a couple moments here and there for Tyson where he does land some punches, but we're also seeing like, um, I don't want to get into a big scoring debate or anything like that, or as far as like, this is my scoring criteria. But one thing that I always look for when it comes to punches and punches landed, yes, you do have to look for the clean punches landed and whatnot, but also what, what effect is the punch having? Like, is it having a visible effect, like hurting the fighter or is it having an effect like as far as forcing them to do something about their strategy or throwing them off blunting their momentum, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So like a lot of the things that Tyson was doing as far as landing punches, like they just weren't having an effect period. He yeah. was, uh, and I'm sure a part of that was what you were saying, Holyfield sparring with Tua. And if you could take a hook from Tua and sparring over and over and over again, you're going to be confident that you get in there with Tyson and you're like, he's not going to hurt me with that shit. And that's what happened. Tyson landed his, his best in the first few rounds basically, or at least tried to, and that nothing happened, nothing happened. However, in that fourth round, or at least between round four and round five, I guess something, some switch flipped in Tyson, at least briefly. And we saw kind of like a shadow, a, a little bit of a, a shade of some former Tyson years there in round five. Uh, I thought that it was probably the only round that you could argue for Tyson in round five. Um, one thing that I noted was at the beginning of round five, and I think this is part of why Tyson kind of got going was that Holyfield started doing this thing where I described it earlier, but he was literally wiping his head on Tyson's face in the clinch. Like they were getting in the clinch and Holyfield was dipping his head down and rolling it around on Tyson's face. And I mean, again, it's a rough fight. I get it. This ain't fucking tennis and it's cool. But it's like, you know, he started kind of dipping it into a different area by doing that shit at the beginning of round five, in my opinion. And so all of a sudden you see Tyson just start lashing out. And if, for a couple moments, I almost half expected Tyson to bite him in the clinch in this fight, because you see the same look on his face just for a second when Holyfield's doing that, like he starts looking to the ref, like he's just like this fucking guy, what the fuck, you know, but instead he harnessed that rage for a moment and uh, was able to start actually landing some punches, landed a number of hard punches actually in the last like maybe minute or so. Um, they showed it on the replay in real time. It looked like Holyfield was rocked on the replay. It didn't look so much like he was rocked. It looked like he had just kind of been knocked backward, but still the punches landed. They knocked him back. And then instead of coming right back, he clinched Tyson when Tyson came in. So to me, it looked like a fairly effective Tyson round, at least compared to the others. Um, but that's that's really the only kind of you know uh, semblance of an what Tyson was supposed to be doing in that round five was where he broke through and kind of got pissed off and somehow managed to use that in a good way. Yeah, and I mean going into this fight, you see. Uh, the cameras go into his corner with Jay Bright and you get a real indication. What the hell is Jay Bright doing there? Jay Bright is nothing other than somebody who's in the same home with custom auto that Tyson was, but he has no insight. He has no ability. He has no expertise whatsoever. He's no background. It is utterly. That's something to be there. Sorry to interrupt you, but that's yeah. something that we see throughout both of these fights with the promotion and the production, you know, the whatever is that like Tyson is just surrounded by people willing to fall on any fucking sword 
to protect him from reality. Yeah. Yeah. And all in the meanwhile, becoming multimillionaires, taking breaks from non-careers. Exactly. You know, failed stand-up comedians become his manager. Um, it's like Roy somebody Hall. managed a laundromat one time. Yeah, so yeah. now he's doing the fucking PR or something. <laughs> like, exactly. Fuck. So yeah, I agree with you. In the fifth round, Tyson, Tyson finally has a very brief moment of looking energetic, which is how, by the way, he looked all the way up winning his titles and everything. Not that he looked great in all of those title fights, unifying the heavyweight championship. He struggled a bit. Anybody who's tall, who could punch, who wasn't afraid, Tyson didn't look great. And we do need with great fighters to see them demonstrate greatness. Um, I, I think that's a really important aspect. And there were times where Tyson showed up in a big way as he did against Spinks, but there were lots of times where he had his own struggles like Holyfield did. He had his own versions of Burt Cooper and stuff like that with guys who were certainly not Hall of Fame fighters sort of thing. So it just it, it's just an interesting thing just to pause and reflect on when you try to consider what should his legacy be? Because it's so easily, it's so easy to be not misled, but to be directed by such superb hand speed and, and you know, his mystique, his aura, the marketing, the packaging and stuff like that. Um, but you see a glimpse of old Tyson here. He, he is able to muster some, some series of shots. He's finally throwing a few combinations like he used to. And some of them are even landing cleanly. I agree with you. I thought Holyfield was staggered for a moment. Uh, the replay, it looks much less impactful. But the key thing about it when he appears to be staggered is he's totally composed. And Tyson notices that and goes, oh, I can't break his will. Even when I'm up for a moment and I'm not up for this fight, but I just get a glimpse of being up to give the impression that I'm up. It's not intimidating him. And that's intimidating me. <laughs> you can see yeah, that. Like, like this, this success I had in this round was supposed to just, you know, put me ahead and make it so that I come out in the next round and just fucking knock you flat. And yeah. instead you're coming right back and meeting there. Oh shit. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> just exactly the same way that you see for the first time when Tyson knocked down Douglas uh, for the only time, two rounds before he got knocked out, and Douglas smacks the canvas and gets up. You see the look on Tyson's face. Like, oh. oh, fuck. And he remembers that thing, that if you're a cowardly fighter that becomes brave, you don't go back to being cowardly. You stay brave. And, Ho and Holyfield is always, totally to his credit, and steroids, brave the way he's fighting. Other than James Tony, who Tony broke his will, where it's just like, you can see, I don't know what to do with this guy. But other than Tony, there's not a fight where he's not doing everything he possibly can while he's conscious to take you out. And he gets angry when you throw punches at him that make him better and better and better. It, it fills him with energy. Um, so, yeah. And again, I just have to quote the esteemed commentator, Bobby Chez, for saying the, the right to the body thing is taking its toll on Evander. I'll tell you what. If he stands with Mike, end of the night. <laughs> you know, and I, I'll, I will, as much as I'd love to raz Bobby, which we should, you know, hashtag raz Bobby. But like, the entire crew had bought into it because they would almost like they got, they got convinced by that moment. Almost like they were like, yep, yep. I knew it the whole time. Tyson's starting to break him down. I told you guys. And it was like, you got, no, 
what? That doesn't erase those rounds. Holyfield just won wow. fairly dominantly, you guys. What are you doing? But it, but that's the that's n- number one. It's part of that kind of scoring bias where a fighter does better in that round than they did the previous one. Right. So therefore, they must have won when yeah. in reality, they may not have. But it's also the bias of Tyson, that mystique, that kind of like the way he's able to just convince you. He, he wins you over even now to this day, like I said, with that kind of uh, rehabilitated, rehabilitated personality type of thing. Anyway, back to the fight. That's that's perfect. Like the chess quote is perfect because he had Bobby totally convinced. And uh, that also that success that Tyson had in that round. Uh, I think he was just like, I think he made some comment after that, like he was making me start to feel better now or something like that about how his performance against Holyfield, which he brought up several times during the fight. But um, it was so memorable. Yeah, like it was some sort of, oh my God, dude. We'll get back to that in a second because I don't know if you caught the later comment from Steve Albert, but maybe you did. Hopefully you did. If not, I totally did. But in any case, uh, moving to the sixth round with that momentum for Tyson, he actually opened up the sixth round, landing a really good right hand. And then what Holyfield does in response was kind of like you said, he got pissed. He got pissed that like Tyson even he he would he would even threaten to get any sort of momentum and started pushing him, just started like shoving him across the ring. And then all of a sudden, as uh, Tyson lands a left hook. Right after that, a big headbutt opens a gash over Tyson's eye, which pissed Tyson off. The crowd immediately, for some reason, after Tyson gets cut by a headbutt, starts chanting for Holyfield, which right after that, Holyfield lands like a massive low blow that that Tyson's like, ooh, you know, in the replay, you can see his face go like, holy shit. And then uh, and in any case, moments later, Tyson lands, or I'm sorry, misses a few big punches, and then on the rebound, Holyfield just kind of throws a reflexive hook that hits him, hits Tyson on the chest and sends him down. And that was probably, you know, that moment of Tyson going down, even though in the replay we see it wasn't a super clean punch, blah, 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 but the crowd went nuts. It, it was yeah. such a massive, like, holy shit, you know, uh, I think a real a realization that any sort of momentum Tyson had in that fifth round had been taken away Holyfield was the man in this shit and that there was nothing Tyson could do about it. I think that people somehow had mistakenly assumed that Buster Douglas landed one lucky punch, that that's what won that fight for him instead of beating the shit out of Tyson round after round. Not that it was a rout, but it was yeah, a he dominant, beat him up little by little, up. you know, it, it was a dominant performance. And, and yeah, the notes I have for this round, you're right that Tyson comes out and there there's again, a kind of flash of him being animated, um, which, which is kind of rare. Like he just wasn't post-prison. Like he just looked, he, he just off his game from what we were used to. But I, I have noted down the drama of this fight has shifted where it has nothing to do with what we're watching. It has to do with our relationship to Tyson's image. And, and that it reminds me of Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff, for 20 years, it was accepted. There was a mathematician that actually solved the fraud of what it was, the Ponzi scheme, who said Bernie Madoff's returns that he's getting his client is the equivalent of a baseball player batting 960 for a season. 
and nobody was asking questions about to say, how are you doing this? What, what, what is your genius that is allowing you to, to do what nobody else in this industry can do? They just were like, if he can do it, he can do it. There was that feeling with Tyson at that time that he himself was kind of a living Ponzi scheme. He's got that, the pugilistic Ponzi scheme. Yeah, a pugilistic Ponzi scheme where he, he, he's even better than he was before, despite all evidence being to the contrary. And, it, you know, like th there's nothing he's doing that is showing you that he's better than he was. There's nothing in terms of the quality of his opposition that is showing you that he's improved. Quite the opposite. Like, like, like King is lining up people. He knows that Tyson is not as good. Tyson knows he's not as good here. Um, so it is interesting that the accidental headbutt that happens and leading into that, you're seeing Holyfield reasserting his strength in the clinch. He is overpowering Tyson where it's becoming a dominant theme. And when he lands a low blow that is on the level with like what Andre Ward landed against Kovalev in that second fight where you're punching up at the sack kind of yeah, thing. Where you get a little bit of that like guillotine, motor, the, the pendulum yeah. swinging up. <laughs> yeah, it's little that's Mac. The, that's the pit and the pendulum. That's the. <laughs> um, that is when the crowd starts their chant of Holyfield, Holyfield. I don't know why this particularly. Yeah, that's what him. I said is that I noticed like right at the low blow, they're like, holy. I'm like, wow. Yowza. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. And um, and again, I mean, the comment that Bobby Chez has to sum up this round. We're seeing Mike Tyson tested after he's been knocked out and is being beaten pillar to post. I thought Bobby you were Chess. just talking about he can't stand in there with him, Bobby. What are you, what are you talking but, about? I don't remember him saying that. I, I mean, Bobby Bobby always saw no, through. No, that wasn't me. I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, give me another drink. So, yeah. Um, Make round, it a triple. Yeah. <laughs> round seven is, I just have my notes or it, it's just, the obvious dissolution of the Mike Tyson persona and his confidence is zero at this point. It is just plummeting and you're kind of seeing into, this is the wizard of Oz moment where we pull the curtain. Don't pay attention. 100%. To 100%. That's Don't what I noted too. Yeah. So I had that Tyson in bullfighting if you have a bull that doesn't show aggression, they're all bred. They're, these are very expensive animals. They, this is Spain's answer to a Burgundy wine or a Stradivarius violin. If a bull who's been bred to be the most vicious thing possible, vicious, aggressive, agile, huge, strong, fast, if it doesn't fight that way, you can petition to have it removed for being lame. The crowd will say, fuck this shit. The matador deserves a better bull to box to, to 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 fight with. That is what Tyson looks like at this point. Tyson looks like a bull that does not want to engage. It doesn't want to do what we expect him to do, as it, what this contest is meant to to demonstrate. And it's it's always a very sad thing to see, but you can just see he looks trapped. The ring suddenly doesn't look like where he's going to demonstrate his supremacy. Suddenly he looks like he's in a cage, like, like a, a slaughter cage kind of thing. You're waiting for it to happen now. Whatever's going to happen, you're waiting for Holyfield to lower the boom on a caged animal that's just waiting for slaughter. And 
the, the as far as the Wizard of Oz thing, it it opened up my mind, especially at that time when I was 18, that this is a guy who has all these tattoos of disparate characters. He has Arthur Ashe over here and, and Che on his stomach later on. And and who's the other one? Mao Zedong over here. Yeah, this some very guy, differing political ideologies here, buddy. But this is a guy who doesn't know who he is. So I need these other people to speak for me. And Tyson is somebody who said, all of my most famous quotes, I'm quoting somebody else. So he's somebody who is a kind of living quotation because he doesn't, he's created a construct. He's sort of like a Tarantino film of I'll, I'll grab over here, over here, over here. I want my image to be 9,000. Everything's an homage. It's an amalgam of an everything. Because I don't know who the fuck I am. Who I am is that kid who was bullied as quote unquote fairy boy in Brownsville, who was picked on by everybody, who whose voice is so high pitched and lisping. I'm awkward. Girls don't like me. Guys don't like me. I get no social acceptance and I'm afraid to stand up to anybody. So he's made this massive transformation, but you're starting to see him go back to that loser kid that it's, he self-identified with. It's crumbling. Yeah. And you're going back to the truth of who he is a little bit. The construct is being broken down. And so the seventh round was just sad. As I say, my note was the Spanish term for replace the bull because he's lame. And that's what Tyson looks like. Not lame as in boring, but lame as in... What is that term? Um, I, I, I think it was... I fucking forgot it. It's, it's not Mon, Monzo but they, I forget what it is because it's so I'm rare. just curious because I've never, I don't know what it is either. But it's, it's a term, the translation is for lame. It just means like, as if like a horse that broke its leg, except it's not about an injury. It's about the spirit of the animal, that this animal has no fight. So replace it with one that does. Yeah, I don't know what they'd say in Spain, but in Mexico, they'd probably just say, vete chingado. <laughs> so yeah. Not quite the same, you know, <laughs> roughly. Um, but yeah, I, I actually noted the, something very similar in round seven was that uh, Holyfield came out. He, was, he literally started openly bullying Tyson, walking him down. Uh, the, the body language from Tyson definitely changed. And then in the clinch, you could see Tyson obviously looking at Mitch Halpern, like looking at him like, help me out here, buddy. Like he's starting to kind of push me around and get rough. And you could also see that Holyfield was seeing that. And mm -hmm. Holyfield started getting this sneer on his face, this look like he was just like, dude, you're mine. That's it. And on, on top of that, I did make a note that I just thought was funny. During the seventh round, the commentators mentioned online scoring, which I thought was just funny because that I couldn't say. I truly don't know. But I'm trying to think what other big fight at or around this time would have involved online scoring. So, I mean, was it the first one? I truly don't know, but it seemed like it maybe could have been, but I, I just thought that was funny. Um, but yeah, clearly a, a strong Holyfield round and also at the end of the round, another head clash happened that Tyson reacted very strongly to, uh, almost like, you know, doubled him over, kind of like wobbled him maybe even a little bit, but Another thing that I noted while watching the replay of the headbutt, it was Tyson's fault. He was the, yeah. he was the one leaping into it. And right. so, I mean, this is also that in itself, I think is a microcosm for what you're talking about. The headbutts are used as an excuse for everything under the sun when it comes to Tyson's fights against Holyfield. 
and we, we you and I were talking about we agree Holyfield's fighting dirty that's not the question but it's more like is that a legitimate excuse to do anything and it's like no because Tyson was also doing shit he was also fighting dirtily he was also leaping in and causing these headbutts so it's kind of like you know that that it's a it's a facade it's empty it doesn't really you know it doesn't work so that's another Holyfield round right now you know through seven rounds we got six rounds for Holyfield one for Tyson you know if you're given Tyson that one fifth round and even then I think that that's not like a mega clear round for Tyson it's just he does much much better so clearly we're seeing going into round eight there's dominance here and it's and it's continuing um and I just found the term it's Monso Okay. Monso, yeah, meaning tame, mild, unwarlike, or cowardly, hmm. or lame. Interesting. So M A N S O. Huh. Oh, Manso. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Manso. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So round eight. One of my favorite quotes. Again, the commentators here on Showtime are just so rankly awful. Frankly, like I, I have no respect for Bobby Ches as a commentator. Um, and I think Ferdy Pacheco, I'm blinded by how much of an asshole he was known to be. Such a prick. Dude, he just, yeah. He had some moments, but overall, like, I felt... He had a it, good voice. I like his voice. Eris and I actually talked about this not that long ago. I don't remember for what, but I, I, uh, I feel like I remembered him being really good. And then in recent years, I've watched back fights and been like, man, he's so bad. Yeah, He's, he's so dead. bad. Like, he's oh dead. my gosh. And yeah, I agree. Um, Albert is another guy with great voice, but was just off the mark so many times. The commentators were just off during this fight. Yeah. Um, wasn't a good good fight in terms of the commentating. No, and so Pacheco early early in the round says, "Now he's floundering with Tyson." I thought, "Now, <laughs> now, just now, just now, round eight. I mean, safe to say it now." He's been taking a beating the whole fight, but but now he's suddenly floundered. Like what what when when was he? What was the alternative to that in this fight? He hasn't dominated five seconds of the fight, but suddenly now he's floundering in the eighth round. Okay, um, and there was another quote here. Yeah, this was the Bobby Chess quote that you were talking about. All of a sudden, my performance is getting better and better compared to the Dead. rest of the heavyweights, Bobby. No, it doesn't. Have another drink. You know, and again, anybody who thinks we're really laying into Bobby, are you going to be the staunch defender of boxing's most famous yeah, yeah. alcoholic driver? Are you going to put your neck on the line? You're going to put your, your dick out there? No, so, yeah. So thanks, Bobby, for making it about you. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you say, I think I've given one round to Tyson this entire time. And, and getting to round nine, um, you know, Tyson is crying while he's in the corner, getting cuts attended to. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they're putting stuff on his eye and he's going, ah, ah, eh. Yeah. His Which don't body, get me wrong. I mean, that shit hurts. I've been cut, it hurts. but. It hurts, you know, but you're, but it, you're also. It's definitely you're, killing the illusion for sure. Yeah, you're, you're the baddest man on the planet, but ooh, you've got a boo-boo. Ah, eh, ah, <laughs> don't touch my boo-boo. <laughs> so, okay, so the body language. Yeah, don't get me wrong, because I break down from a hangnail. You know, I'm like, ah. Oh, no, I was at the dentist the other day, and I'm sitting there, you know, flinching the whole time. I, I No, I, I'm a scaredy cat for lots of stupid stuff, too. 
But but anyway, you're right. The image of Tyson, if you're going to be the baddest man on the planet, you're willing to die in there and to kill in there and all that. And it's not a victory unless I kill him. These are all Tyson quotes. Ugh, crying with the boo-boo. Right. Yeah. Little... If you're going to be talking like that, dude, then it's, it's what it is, you know? Yeah. So the body language of Tyson at this point is completely resigned. If you were fighting somebody like Tyson at this point, you're thinking, oh, now it's going to be fun because this guy doesn't want to be yeah, here. Now I get to end it. Now I get now I get to end it. Um, so Ron Borges, our good friend Ron, had predicted uh, a Holyfield upset, and he predicted a ninth round KO, and has always lamented that he was one round off. Thanks, Ron. He was close. He was damn close, you know. But this is what I was talking about earlier. Uh, I had I had missed this entirely, and watching it back. It, it tore the start around nine. Steve Albert zings Bobby Chez. So Bobby Chez brings wow. up the goddamn fight against Holyfield again. And Steve Albert says, Tyson might need to put something on his gloves. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. Bobby was silent, dude. Bobby wow. didn't say shit for like two minutes. I was like, wow, man, that's fantastic. I missed that. I, I don't remember hearing that ever. So um, anyway, well, yeah. Bobby was Bobby at that point. A lot of people don't know this was actually inventing Wordle. He actually was <laughs> the innovator of Wordle. So he took a, you know, he was responding emotionally by innovation for humanity. My God, dude, just an absolute, just pain in the neck. Jackass. But you know, round eight, obviously a uh, dominant Holyfield round. Round nine, same thing. Tyson actually in a he landed a couple of right hands and he managed to get through some punches. But like I had said earlier. The issue was that every time he was doing it, Holyfield was getting pissed and landing something back and landing something better. Uh, Holyfield or uh, Tyson was pushing a lot of his shots. Most of the stuff that he was throwing out there was not was not effective if he was landing it. And if you know, the big shots, he was just winging and missing. Holyfield was just building building up a, a freaking wall of points here, dude. And another thing, except sorry to interrupt, but but the no, other thing yeah. we haven't talked about it at all is that the scoring of the people at Showtime is so out of whack with what the public is scoring online. Because they have, like, at some point, Chez says in the ninth round, what were the odds for a draw? A draw? Really? <laughs> like, we've given one the, round. The of odds for a draw in any big fight are so long because it doesn't happen. Like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> That's not a what do you mean, relevant Bobby? comment at this point. It's nowhere near a draw. So I, I don't know what fight they were watching, but it's just interesting that the public was less, for lack of a better word, being drunk on the mystique of Tyson than Ches and company. Yeah, they got the fucking... <laughs> fucking internet and these people on America online using web crawler fucking understand how to score a fight better than the Showtime commentators during Holyfield Tyson one for Way crying better. out loud, dude. I mean, come on. So let's get to round 10. Let's we're, we're just about at the end here. Tyson is worn down badly. Um, continually trying to throw this hail Mary of a right hand to, to land, which is just not getting anywhere. He's just getting so obvious like he's moving his hands. It's just so ineffective and so ineffective. predictable. Because his feet are so slow. He's not in a position to land a punch, which is important. If anybody he's wants up, to telegraphing. Yeah. yeah. You want to get into boxing. There's a reason when you watch Lomachenko throws those kind of pity pat punches, 
in order to get into a new position to land the big shots. It's not that he, like, there's a lot of thought behind what he's doing, whereas Tyson is reduced to such a one-note fighter at this point. Um, I mean, really, the whole fight, he's a one-note fighter, but especially here as he's just being bullied and dispirited and kind of given up. So, I mean, we're going to get to the shot that Holyfield lands. Uh, I mean, he basically lands 10 shots on Tyson uh, toward the end of the round with 20 seconds left. And Tyson is just left to be a zombie wandering back to his corner. I'm surprised it wasn't stopped at that point. Yeah, there was uh, a little bit of discussion uh, about the um, Ruelas-Garcia fight going into this with Mitch Halpern. Um, and yeah, I mean, there always is. Anytime there's a higher profile fight where one of the fighters gets very badly injured or, you know, heaven forbid, passes away afterward as a result from their injuries, there's a protracted discussion about officiating, about whether or not that official will be okay, about whether or not that fighter will be okay. And I mean, as there should be, don't get me wrong. It's just that the discussion itself is usually skewed and fucking totally unintelligent is the problem. But that being said, uh, you know, that kind of ties into, I think, the potential for a stoppage or whatever uh, in this 10th round, because Mitch Halpern's in there, who overall, Mitch Halpern, fantastic referee, absolutely fantastic from, from this era, and sad how he went out, unfortunately. But back to this round 10, you know, Tyson's ambling about you know, just trying to land the right hand. He's not effective whatsoever. Um, but in any case, Holyfield's offense, at least briefly over the last half of the round, seems to kind of slow down. And there is some discussion from the commentators, mistakenly, that Holyfield's slowing down. Oh, he's starting to kind of look a little bit tired. You know, what's going on with Holyfield? But Tyson wasn't doing anything with it. Even if that were true, he wasn't doing a damn thing. So uh, he was just eating clean punches. And then all of a sudden, Holyfield hurts Tyson with a series of shots. Uh, right before the bell and has him walk into his corner where he looks like he doesn't even know what's he doesn't even know which way is up you know he's walking to his corner totally clueless um and if you were to call that a 10-8 round I wouldn't cry about it because Tyson looked that hurt at the end of the fight yeah. or at the end of the round that is and had they stopped it I wouldn't have cried about that either but I guess obviously the the line of the the way of thought there especially from officials as well. Now they have a minute to kind of reset their brain and see if that gets them back in it. And occasionally that winds up happening, but usually if they're that hurt going to the corner, a minute ain't going to do it. So um, especially yeah. not, especially not Tyson either. Tyson just has, there's no instance of him coming back. Yeah. Not like, not like that. Definitely not like that. That's for no, sure. Hanging in there. Yes. But coming back. No, 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 definitely not. Um, you could see that when round 11 began, there's just nothing in Tyson's legs. Um, the first you could see also that it was basically a, a situation where the first solid punches Holyfield landed, like something was going to happen. So there was going to be trouble. And that's exactly what happened. He, he, uh, sprung out. He realized that the Tyson didn't really have much left and just landed a, a combination and a half basically. And Mitch Halpern was like, no, 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 that's it. Tyson yeah. was against the ropes and it didn't really seem like Tyson was doing much uh, complaining either. He was just kind of, just kind of there in dreamland, dude. He was clearly affected. And, and subsequent to this Tyson claimed, I think after the second or third round, he didn't remember anything. So you watched that too. Yeah. yeah. So did, oh. yeah. 
unfortunately yeah that was awful but yeah, yeah. No, oh I, dude that was you know awful. that awful. was so that was a really brutal interview for, from both directions like how many times can a guy who got knocked out tell you he doesn't remember and then you keep pressing so what did you remember he just told you he just told you yeah <laughs> oh, awful. dude that was so um, bad but i think i think what best underlined and distilled this event for for history really was bobby chess saying this was the most unbelievable thing i've ever been privileged to witness in my life and he was actually there for when those girls saw the sightings of the virgin of guadalupe no i'm just kidding (laughs) he's just absolute like hyperbole being bounced off of every surface you know but it is it was true it was shocking uh, it's just the fact that it's Bobby Chez saying it that makes. You know what's more shocking though? There's a there's a joke that's that you have to use Willie Nelson as the punchline, but I think you can use Bobby Chez. What's the worst thing that a girl could hear after filleting Bobby Chez? I'm not Bobby Chez. Ay ay ay. Think about that. That would be bad. That would be bad. It works better with Willie Nelson, but I think it's just as effective with Bobby Chez. <laughs> well, Although I, mean, I love I love Willie Nelson. Yeah, who isn't Bobby? Who is Bobby Chez? But a lovable, you know. After this fight, Holyfield's given a fucking parade in Atlanta. They gave him <laughs> a homecoming parade. Like you said, Tyson says he doesn't remember anything from the clash of heads in round three or so on, but. The clash of heads in round three really wasn't, it didn't really seem to me like it was that, uh, that bad. But according to him, he didn't remember anything from that point on. For me, I think it's more that he got badly concussed. And when yeah. you get, con- I've been concussed before and I didn't, you get retroactive memory lost where oh, yeah. you don't remember things from before you, the incident that got you concussed. You're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely, and, my, my wife was at the Boston Marathon and felt the reverberation of one of those explosives uh that she got concussed from and yeah she doesn't remember a bunch from that either yeah i well i mean yeah that's that's far more fucking traumatic than what i was gonna say but like i've i've got into street fights when i was a teenager and i remember i got my ass kicked real bad once and afterwards they're like asking me questions and i was like i don't know what the fuck you're even talking about so funnily enough uh tyson said that he initially thought he won by knockout Huh. And then he had to be reminded that he had lost and told, like, coached what to say at the post-fight press conference because he was initially going to address the a crowd as if he had won by knockout. And they were like, no, 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 honey, no, don't do that. Um, but, you know, Holyfield kept falling back on the religion thing, uh, especially aggravating given the amount of steroids he was pumping into his body at this time. But... Yeah. It, just about any answer he had for anything was that he thanked God and that, you know, the Lord helped him with blah, blah, blah. It's just the hypocrisy. I mean, that's what we're, I mean, the cheating, yes, but the sanctimonious hypocrisy. Exactly. Everybody was cheating, but not everybody was whacking off about the religion thing. Well, and I think you you could make an argument that Tyson wasn't cheating. Tyson always looked like that. Like, like, like from, from when he was 15, his body looked like that. No, no, maybe he was cheating, but I'm just saying you could at least make an argument that that physique had looked the same 
for for 15 years since he was a teenager, whereas Holyfield is coming up as a, a, a very skinny kind of light heavyweight who just there gets was definitely a more of a Barry Bonds transformation. Yeah, exactly. And if yeah. we're going to look at Barry Bonds, who's a perfect analog, Barry Bonds looking at the home or Mark run McGuire, rate, you know, or Mark McGuire. But if Barry Bonds is looking at Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire during that 98 home run thing and saying, I just had one of the best seasons in the history of baseball and I hit 49 home runs and had a great um, like hitting average and everything, takes steroids and goes from 49 home runs to 72. If that gives you an indication of the kind of benefits of cheating, um, because people, like, I always get people asked, like, would it really be a benefit to boxing? Like, what would steroids really do? Everything. Everything. Strength, speed, recovery, your ability to train more. Well, yeah, and there's not just one kind of performance-enhancing no. drug or steroid. I mean, steroids is a catch-all term for yeah, right, performance-enhancer. Right, right. But you, And I know you know that, but, you know, there's so many different kinds, and there's so many different ways. As Evan Fields like, knows. That's an absurd question. To yeah. ask what would it do for you? What wouldn't it do for you? What the fuck? Yeah. And then and you brought up the key, which is fighters, you hear all the time fighters fight injured. That's super common. And one yeah. of the things that performance enhancers do for so many fighters and athletes is cut recovery time like in half. And yeah. when you're able to cut recovery time in half and heal injuries so quickly, that is an absolute massive boon. Oh. The caveat, obviously, is that long term it starts eroding your joints and shit like that. So long-term you start feeling the effects and all of a sudden James Tony, for instance, after years of steroid usage starts having tons of tendon injuries, knee injuries, Achilles injury, et cetera, et cetera. But right. that type of thing. And we also see it from Holyfield. We're now looking back to that second bow fight where they're talking about the heart and all this type of shit that could have been from steroid use, bro. Yeah. So, I mean, in any case, you know, not to go too out in left field, but yeah, the hypocrisy, of what's going on there with Holyfield and like how people were getting behind him because and he's, he's never admitted it and, and he's never admitted it. And I mean, yeah, the there's other, never been any contrition. Yeah, no, no. And, and I mean, also just the sanctimoniousness about that. The Lord is leading him on this great path where he he's just serially cheating on all of his wives and fathering all these kids out of wedlock. So it's yeah, just like had to sell his mansion because he had yeah, child support payments, you know, it's I mean, just very a la carte. God. God is co-signing everything he wants to do and justifying everything that he's doing that's immoral. So that, that's what we're sensitive to. Not that not that we're defending exactly, Tyson, exactly. who is a rank piece of shit, <laughs> uh, you know, outside the ring and often inside the ring at this time also. But but I, I don't know how sanctimonious he was. Maybe I, that's just what rankles more. But Exactly. But, but okay, so here's the weirdness going into the second fight. This becomes the biggest pay-per-view in history. It does one almost just under 2 million buys, 1.99 million buys. Um, and somehow, after getting $100 million worth of revenue, Tyson is a two-to-one favorite in the rematch. This Bernie Madoff thing again. Well, it they've, must have been an aberration. They've managed to convince people that the headbutt, hit, the headbutt affected him so much that he wasn't ready, that it was unexpected. I mean, they've concocted all of these excuses. And that's what I was talking about earlier with all of these people just willing to fall on any sword possible to right. hide reality from Mike Tyson. And then I guess the betting public bought into it. You know, I mean, clearly I, I don't, I just don't know how you see that performance and you think in reality, Tyson is going to do anything, but 
just on statistical analysis alone, rematches of big fights are generally the same result, but just amplified. It's the same, you know, and it's just, I, it's amazing. It's truly amazing. But I do love a quote from Pacheco. I'm not being sarcastic for once where he was asked, what's at stake for Tyson in this fight? And he said, the rest of his life is what's at stake. I kind of like that. It sounds like hyperbole, but if if we also take into account that it, America is spending a fucking shit ton of money on this fight for a fight that means nothing, given how shitty he looked in the first one. So that, like nobody's paying to see Holyfield in this fight. Holyfield was never marketable on his own. No, nobody was saying, everybody was saying with Holyfield, who's he going to fight? Tyson was just, when is he fighting next? It was sort of Arturo Gatti, like in terms of marketability. But this is this is going to be really dramatic for Tyson. I mean, not just the ear biting, but I mean, even even at the end, like I mean, even with Kevin McBride, two thousand five, he was if he had won that fight, he was going to sign like a sixty million dollar deal. So even forty year old Tyson, who was so shot, it it, bro, it still didn't end. Roy Jones, the Roy Jones thing, you know what I mean? Like it's biggest pay per view of the year. They would still. He he hit some fool on a plane, yeah. And how much traction did that get? You know, I mean. And anyway, it's 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 just Crazy. never ending, and it's it is truly amazing. Um, so starting this fight out, almost identical to the first fight, the first round of the first fight, Tyson charges at him and throws a really nice one too. Like he's yeah. just like you know comes in real tight, bap bap. And I was like, whoa, you know, you don't you almost don't see that Tyson very often, but it didn't last um no i do have to say though again same thing as the first fight re-watching the second fight tyson simply had more landed punches and more moments than i was expecting they didn't add up to him winning or doing great oh. but he he wasn't out of either of these fights had he just done this or this you know what i'm saying like it was like I do. it's not i don't want to sustain the narrative that oh holyfield always would have beaten tyson that might be true you know maybe he did quote unquote have his number maybe it was a bully thing i don't know all i'm saying is that just looking in reality from a like you know technical analysis standpoint there are things tyson could have done in that first fight to help him win those rounds and there were things that Tyson was doing in the in the opening round and actually throughout the rematch that were kind of encouraging at times. It was just yeah. that he cannot keep consistent, can't keep his head on, and when he gets resistance, there's no there's no like perseverance. No, I, th- I think it. I think he was trying to delude himself that he could fight to win and get somewhere. And very quickly, Holyfield puts him in his place. I thought Tyson got stunned and shaken by Holyfield in the first round. And I come back to it, but I think I'll give Chess credit for once in my life, earnestly, that Chess at least was fighting Holyfield to win. So as he's taking those shots, he's still successfully deluded enough to think, I might be able to wear him down. Maybe he'll get tired and I can, I can come on. I can take these shots. 
and this is my only chance, but I'm okay with this game plan. And I'm going to, I'm going to live it. I'm going to like, even if I get stopped, but I want to be here to have, to get into those late rounds to have yep. a chance to win. Tyson is nowhere near as confident about anything that he has, as far as the strategy to pull this out. It's really clear. He just has a little flash of, I can look mean at him. I can throw punches really fast, but I don't know what to do. And, and it's not scaring him. It's not intimidating him. And I don't know what is required to overcome this adversary because he wants to be here more than me. He's stronger than I am. And I just don't, I feel like a fraud. I just don't yeah. feel, and I'm not trying to just psychoanalyze, you know, but, but there's just a real feeling when you're watching Tyson that it's like the frustration of not just this fight, but like, who have I become? And everybody is, it's very much like a nightmare setup is everybody is discovering it alongside with him, who he is after he's sold them on one, yeah. on oneself. Now it's like, here, here's it's, what it's worth. It's so cliche, but there is so much truth to it that when you're in there, there's nowhere to hide. There's nothing for right. you to do when you, it's like any other emergency, urgent disaster situation that sends your adrenaline into overdrive. You don't know how you're going to react until you're there. Yeah. And it, and it takes an incredible human, an incredible biochemical response to be able to stay calm in a situation like that. You know, that's why it's like, you know, there's a plane crash and you see like two people fucking in the helping and everybody else is wandering about like a zombie because it's like traumatic. And, it, you know, it, anyway, not to go too, too far off, but the point is, uh, similarly, you know, we're seeing this reaction, we're seeing this visceral kind of inability to hide on Tyson's part very right there in the first round. He's trying, he's doing what he can. He's throwing punches. He's kind of getting in there. But then once Holyfield is basically just extending what happened in the first fight right there into the rematch, there's nothing for it. He can, there's nothing he can do. And uh, I agree. I noted the same thing you did right there toward the end of the round. Holyfield rocked Tyson back on his heels uh, with a right hand. And then Tyson kind of covered up and Holyfield attacked him and landed a couple more clean shots. So it became apparent very early on that, no, this is not, this is an extension of the first fight. This is not some sort of new deal. This is not some sort of something changed or whatever. This is just yeah. the first fight again. Um, and so second, go yeah. ahead, please do. I was just going to say second round. There's an interesting moment where you see Tyson flashing some excessive head movement. But what I noticed was, is that his feet don't move instead of being like, 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 like Oh, some old, old school head movement from Mike Tyson. Yeah. But the head movement used to always be accompanied by a shift, the, the so-called D'Amato shift or finding those angles, but his feet look so heavy. His feet are in cement and this is modern Tyson. I can come forward. Very one note kind of offense, fast hands, but the, the, the perpetual motion is just straight. And, and for Holyfield, that's ideal. Holyfield completely knows how to deal with this. It's nothing he hasn't seen before, and he's very comfortable in it. And after the headbutt, you see a big cut, and Tyson is looking not just frustrated, but he's looking at the referee like it's mommy or daddy to help me. 
why aren't you helping me? Look at what this bad man is doing to me kind of thing. It's, it's so the antithesis of the baddest man on the planet and intimidated. He looks intimidated. He doesn't know where to yeah. go. Usually I get really annoyed when referees are like, for instance, like Jane 80, Jane 80 is a really good example of a referee who needs to shut the fuck up, get out of the fighters business, stop talking to them. They're fighting. Stop fucking, you know, like, all right, come on, get your hand out of there. Get your, it's like, what they're fighting, dude, shut up. Like they're listening to their corner. They're, I hate that. But in this fight, dude, Mills Lane opened up super quick and was like, I'm not taking any sort of shit. And I know that like Mills Lane, like he's had some bad performances. Don't get me wrong. It's not like he's like a legendarily great referee. He had bad performances, but he clearly was in this fight was like, I'm not taking shit. And, but early, uh, so he had already entered into the fight in round one, but then round two, when that cut happens, it's almost like Tyson's looking to him like, buddy, I'm getting mauled here. Help me out. And he did probably have some, there was some merit to Tyson kind of complaining and being like, dude, I'm getting roughed up. But again, you kind of go back to like, you're also doing some of the roughing up. You're also kind of entangling in this clinch yeah. game. Um, and so anyway, it's, you could see again, Tyson fighting without much confidence, visibly clinching, grabbing inside one punch at a time. Um, and then it was like, actually, I noticed this cause I just thought it was funny as they, they go into a corner, uh, Tyson kind of got punched into a corner. And as the camera zooms in, Jeff Goldblum is in the crowd <laughs> and he's like pointing, he's like, Oh, well, you know, ah, you know, cause Tyson's in a corner. It was, it was just cracking me up cause I never noticed that before, but, um, even after, you know, Tyson's been, there's a clash ahead and he's cut. Holyfield is clearly definitely grinding his head into Tyson's face, like in a, in a way that's deliberate and obvious where he wasn't doing it before. And yeah. I know that's a veteran move. You know, your guy gets cut, you start head, but you start first, you know, smashing your face. But um, it was definitely a situation where you could see kind of moment by moment, Tyson getting more and more frustrated for sure. Yeah, definitely. And third round, the last one, Tyson comes out with no mouth guard, which I can't remember that ever happening to him, him leaving his corner without a mouth guard. Um, he seems frantic and the Tyson chants start. So it's interesting. The crowd is kind of turned, turned and there's a low blow, but it seems like it's kind of being Tyson's round a little bit. And then 36, six seconds left, we get the infamous fight dude uh it's so crazy that a fighter would be allowed to leave their corner without a mouth guard if that is indeed what happened because I, I it's tough to see but regardless usually what happens is the referee points to corners it points to the fighters and makes sure they have their mouth guard in before the round uh, starts but you could you could see how that's a step that could get lost in the process during a big fight or you know that's so automatic you can't <clears throat> plus on top of that it's it's not mills lane who did the biting but it's so crazy that that situation could happen uh tyson leans in and it's so dude we've all seen it so many times we've seen it slowed down we've seen photos we've seen it broken down zoomed in we've zap rooted the shit out of these moments for yeah. sure you know back into the left and basically <laughs> basically you see Holyfield just jump because everybody I, Mills Lane almost didn't even realize at first what had happened. Like he's looking at him like, what, what are you, what are you jumping for? What the fuck yeah, are you right. doing? 
And then the commentators immediately right then go, he bit him, he bit him, you know, it, it was so obvious that something like that had happened. And there's a lot of irony here that I'll talk about in a moment. Like, for instance, Holyfield bit an opponent in the amateurs that a lot of, a lot of people don't realize that Holyfield himself bit an opponent in the amateurs, which is how the fuck is that? How many bite incidents are there in boxing? Like there aren't that many, but anyway, Holyfield was the bite E and the biter, but it's so shocking that this is happening. The crowd standing up, everybody's going, what the fuck? You know, it's pandemonium already. The fight's yeah. still allowed to like, they're still wrangling and figuring out what to do. Uh, the action stops. And I do have to give Mills Lane credit again. He was ready to disqualify Tyson then and there. He was just like, yeah, this is not, no, you can't bite. You know, this is gone. This is it. Um, but Flip Hamansky, I think it was, who was the ringside doctor. And then you get Mark Ratner in there, who was uh, Nevada State Athletic Commissioner head at the same time. You know, they're talking to him. They're kind of just like, uh, you know, which right. is true on the rules. If a fighter is willing and able to continue, even if it is a deliberate foul, it's kind of like there's some discretion there. There is, it's like it's a left a little bit open-ended. So Mills Lane takes two points and is like, you know, here we go. We're, we're going to resume because Holyfield, I guess, is willing to continue. So fuck this. Um, but Tyson, you know, he's obviously zero sort of guilt. There's not feeling bad or anything like that. He runs over and he pushes Holyfield after he gets bitten and stuff like he's clearly not feeling any sort of. No, he's, he's lost it. He's yeah. totally lost it. Well, and it, I mean, to me, even more amazing than the bite is the fact that this is only seven months since Bobby Chess has been witness to the most incredible thing of his life. He says of the bite, this is the most unbelievable stretch that I've ever seen. Okay, well, now we're starting to spit truth, Bobby. Now we're starting to spit truth. That must have been on like day Spectre 12 of 28. This is the most unbelievable spectacle that I've ever seen. So it's interesting in Bobby's life that I don't know if he has children or the, the marriage that he had off of the honeymoon. But Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson, both fights, are the two most incredible spectacles that he's it, ever witnessed. At least he didn't say something like, this is the greatest day of my life. Sorry, honey. You know, something. <laughs> I know I had to come home early for the honeymoon and now this. No, well, yeah, I guess there's three. He left his honeymoon. <laughs> First fight and second fight. Boy, the trifecta of Bobby Chez's relationship. Why isn't there a 30 for 30? The, the three most important moments of Bobby's life. The unfulfilled Tyson Holyfield. Holyfield one and two. No, but oh uh, no, it is just the most wacko kind of end. I mean, I guess the only one that surpasses it for me was, was the, the Butler cheap shot at the end of the fight. What was his name? Something Butler... You know, like the, the guy. Who oh, oh uh, James Butler and Richard James Grant. Butler. Yeah. I mean, that sucker punch was the most disgusting Ooh, thing man. I've ever seen. Yeah, that was that was that entire. Ooh, that's a dark story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that these kinds of just blatant fouls and oh, man, just so awful. You see at first when I. um when I was watching this back recently, you know, when I was taking notes and stuff at first, you see Tyson after he bites Holyfield, he points to the canvas. And I thought that what he was saying was that I thought that what he was doing was trying to play it off. Like, as if like, you know, Oh, like he tripped or like something, I didn't know what he was doing. But then when I watched the replay back, 
I realized Tyson was pointing to the piece of ear that he had spit that he yeah. had spit out. Yeah. And I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> I, I, maybe I just had never realized that before, but um, because we had been so inundated with this moment that I don't know, I, I never analyzed it like that. But then anyway, that in itself is so absolutely fucking insane. So it, it really smacked of somebody finding, trying to find a way out Mills lane again, uh, ready to disqualify Tyson, pulling him aside. And when Tyson's trying to offer some weird excuse, Mills Lane, bullshit, loved it. Fucking yeah. loved it. Absolutely great. Because the dude's like five, six. He's yeah, right he's in Tyson's bu- face. And he's, he's just bu- like, I don't give a fuck who this guy is. Shut up. You know, I loved it. Absolutely great. Um, you know, I can't even believe the action resumed, but it did. At first, it looked like Tyson was going to start landing some shots because Holyfield was almost like bewildered as one would be after just getting bitten but then uh they keep colliding again as they kept doing and it was almost like tyson that brief flash of aggression from tyson turned into oh yeah i forgot i need to get the fuck out of here and so it was like he had this realization let me just bite him again and so he leaned in and he bit him again and holyfield clearly tripped out mills lane was kind of looking like he didn't he didn't even see it because it was this time a little bit more subtle holy uh tyson showing zero restraint here and just it was such an ugly scene bro absolutely ugly scene um and pretty much again the only savior here is mills lane taking a strong stance when the round ends that the fight has to be over that that's it there's no option there's no anything and, you know, when the fight ends, there's a miniature melee. Tyson starts attacking people. It starts like basically anybody within reach. He's like, you know, lashing out at him. And Jim Gray, fucking Jim Gray, bro, goes up and starts trying to interview Mills Lane and starts trying to talk about, well, what about the headbutts? Why didn't you warn Holyfield for the headbutt? What about this headbutt thing? And Mills Lane was just like, a headbutt that is accidental is not the same as bite you fucking dick. Like he just looks at him like, shut up, dude. I loved it. Mills lane was really the only like saving grace of this, the entire two broadcasts here, dude. It was so awful the way that everything devolved. And I, that is, like I said, I don't remember the first fight uh, at the time very well, but I remember the second and I remember how pissed off my entire family was ordering this shit and just being like what the fuck was that shit you know yeah yeah it was so ugly i only i mean the comparative i mean you mentioned the jfk and and you know the zapruder film and stuff but i mean the other the other comparative was just like the oj thing like that was our you know and this all leading into 9 11 right and that was just like a year earlier the oj thing was about a year earlier so it was like or the well the the chase the chase anyway yeah, the chase, but it was just like, this is fucking crazy. And the other thing that was crazy was just that, like, the people going out there were cheering it on. I was just like, wow, that like something has really changed that this, at the time, very probable, now absolute murderer, um, that people don't care. That because he's a celebrity, it's just like reality TV before reality TV, that just spectacle is is enough that it's just like this is a thrill ride like i don't i don't care about the implications but um tyson there was definitely 
a lot of pearl clutching about it, which is kind of weird because. Well, I never, you know. Yeah, I mean. That type of shit. Like, you guys shut up. Yeah, like, it's fucked up to bite a guy's ear, but we're, like, we've seen several people die in the ring or, you know, or, you know, beaten into a coma where it leads to death. Stuffing taken out of gloves. You know, it's, I mean. Yeah, all kinds of fucked up shit. I mean, the first time America watched a person get killed on film was a boxer, was Benny Perrette. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we've metabolized a lot of violence and I think normalized it through boxing in, in many ways. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was just such a sublimely bizarre, surreal thing um, where, again, I mean, like, it's just hard for me to be like, oh, my God, Tyson is so disgusting for doing this. What a monster. But we're also the same society that's making him more marketable as the result of being a convicted rapist. Like, like the Nation of Islam was 100% behind Tyson's, like blaming the victim who was like a Sunday school teacher and a Baptist. Like, so it was, it was just like a lot of mixed messages. I'm saying this more as a Canadian at the time looking into America with just kind of like, wow, we're going some weird places. Uh, and believe somehow, me, it ain't getting any more normal on this side no, of the border. It ain't, we're still no, no, going no, fucking no. weird places, baby. But, no, it absolutely is. But you can just see this yeah, yeah. kind of line towards like where yeah. we are now yeah. with fucking Trump and January 6th. And it's just sort of like, I well, remember and, watching and it, that in a similar way to the Tyson thing being like, I cannot believe this is happening. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm sorry to go to the well here for this because it's a very easily accessible example or analogy, but it's very Jerry Springer as far as the era, yeah. as far as the uh, affinity for that kind of dirty entertainment. Um, and, and that's not to say that that never existed before Mike Tyson or Jerry Springer, you know, we no, know no. it did, but it was definitely kicked into overdrive where the availability of it was, it, it was different. Uh, the focus on it was different. And so, yeah, there were, there definitely was a lot of pearl clutching there definitely was a lot even pundits people have been writers for forever like you said people would pr- probably were if not ringside for uh griffith perrette three that they were covering it or knew about it or had seen it or whatever and we're sitting there talking about i've never seen something so brutal i've never seen something so animalistic i've never seen you know that these right. types of crazy right. of course borderline uh racist words that are often used for this kind of shit but it's like you know, this is what boxing is, you know, this is what boxing leads to a lot of the time unchecked. And that's not to say that, uh, you know, there's, there's famous quotes that I've heard from people say stuff like, do you want box? Do you want safe boxing? Or do you want boxing? You know, there is no such thing as safe boxing. It's, it's icky, it's dirty, blah, blah, blah. But obviously, there is some level of keeping it within a certain, certain kind of guidelines, rules, lanes, or whatever, preventing people from biting one another, obviously being one of them. So yeah, um, like well, you, you don't kinda... you you don't watch a tightrope because he's a foot off the ground. He's still doing the same thing, but if it's up on the twin towers, why is it exciting? Because he can fucking die. The stakes so it, are way yeah, the stakes exactly. are way higher. Like so, I mean, you just have to admit what you're paying for is you're paying precisely. Have have an stakes. honest conversation with yourself about yeah. this. That's all it is. And, so. And this is this is why I bring up like the bullfighting analogy is because what we're really in opposition to with bullfighting is that they're honest about it. 
70, I think it's like 72 billion animals are bred every year to be slaughtered, to be consumed for food. Why? Because it tastes good. But it's, it's the bulls. The bullfighting is the problem. But but, that's, that, <laughs> but but they're like, no, it's artistically satisfying. And we're saying, no, but it, it's it's satisfying for our taste buds. We don't have to do it, but we enjoy it. And but but that's acceptable because you don't watch it. Whereas these people are there exactly. watching. That's it, what I mean, you know. It's, saying they enjoy it. So I just think that like I'm conflicted about boxing. I'm conflicted about that, like every beating is probably gonna leave 30 years down the road to issues. Um, but I mean they they're electing to do it, you know. But does that make me less conflicted? I mean, slightly, but it's still. Um, you know, the stakes are why you're watching it, because I think, you know, moving into this grotesque biting thing, like it is just fucked up. I mean, it's sort of the Hannibal Lecter thing. But again, like, why are we watching Hannibal Lecter? Because he's a cannibal serial killer. You know, it's it's exotic, it's exciting, and it thrills us on some level. So I think there's a lot about Tyson. I'd encourage people to read a David Remnick article called, I think it's called Kid Dynamite Explodes from the New Yorker after this fight. And he delves quite a bit into that where it's just kind of like, we want to blame Tyson, but a lot of this is our own voyeuristic obsession with the guy. And this was a very natural outcome in some respects to it. As I say, the rape thing, turning him into a more marketable fighter, that is on us. It's it's uh, two, anal- two, two things. One thing that I, a term that I often use on the show, because I think it's a good term for people to look up and for people to understand is cognitive dissonance. Uh, because that's something that arises, obviously, when boxing fans think about the damage, they think about the long term, you know, the, the consequences. And it's something that a lot of people, not just boxing fans, avoid, um, understandably, because having to think about difficult things sometimes sucks. And sometimes you just want to relax. I get it. Sure. Um, but then, you know, uh, yeah, the just the the amount of grotesque kind of reflection on this is like the second part is that I liken this to um, supermarket rag magazines. Right. Right. Um, They're disgusting and stupid and you are sitting there waiting to pay for your fucking shit. You just need your goddamn bottle of scope so that your breath can smell. Okay. And you look up and it's just like Sandra Bullock is a Nazi who lives underground. And you're like, the fuck is going on here? You know, it, it makes no sense. But there's a market for it or else they wouldn't be getting made. People buy these things. People read these things. They're interested in these things, which is absolutely disgusting and ridiculous. But well, that's, that's why that's why clickbait exists. You know, that's that's the whole point. And so, you, yeah, when it, when you turn it back on this bite fight and this whole incident, it's just like you it's this entire wave, this this uh, uh, what do you call it? A. Uh, 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 I'm sorry, a uh, cottage industry of outrage about this thing. So it's like you get the initial coverage and then you get the outrage, but then the reaction to the outrage and then you get all these layers about this entire sure. thing. So it's it really is amazing. And here we are more than two decades later, psychoanalyzing and talking about it, breaking it down round by round and stuff like that. It's that's how much cultural impact it had and how big it was at the time, even now. Well, 
I think I think the easiest way to parse it in some respects is like the drug war is fought purely from a supply basis instead of demand. Because if you look at demand, it's why do we want this escape? And I think the same thing is true with Tyson. We can look at it, we can blame. Yeah, why is this necessary? Why and what is, if we'd fix the things that make it necessary? Right. And when this guy was 21 years old, he was making in 91 seconds half of what was the most expensive painting in the world selling for. And if capitalism tells us anything, it tells us that a, a, a commodity's value is commensurate with our desire for it. So what does that tell you about why we're desiring what Mike Tyson is offering? Because it's not as if this is you know, uh, an aberration from what he was sort of telling you about who he was, who he, where he came from. This is a microcosm of the entire thing. Absolutely. As much as him saying early, early on, and reporters are laughing, I want to drive Jesse Ferguson's nose into his brain. Or, you know, all, all of the stuff with, with women. Like, I mean, there were many reporters who saw him with women who were just saying far and away, this is his Achilles heel. It's obvious that this is a massive problem. And it's also a massive problem how many women are chasing a guy like this. What does that say? That with his horrible reputation, like, like what's the implication there? This yeah, guy the glorification never... of that kind of treatment. Exactly, exactly. O.J. Simpson said after he got off of murder that women were far more interested in him than when they didn't think he was an evil person. He said, what's wrong with these people? So there's, there's a lot to this. It's like this, it, it really is our relationship to it as much as just about him. That is, I think, a, a more interesting story, but it's a more uncomfortable story to kind of delve into. Exactly. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to remove his responsibility for this terrible thing he did, but it's just like, uh, you know, we have a lot of these characters. I mean, Tyson, OJ, Bill Cosby, um, you know, many, many major figures who were kind of for a, a while venerated as cultural icons. And then there's this other side to them that um, is very challenging to deal with because they're doing it right in front of us. And then we're going, oh, my God, I had no idea. You know, OJ didn't start off murdering. He started off beating women all the time, all the time. You know, uh, Bill Cosby was joking about what he's now in jail for, was, was in jail for, about drugging women and stuff like that. And people were laughing and stuff. So I don't know. The Tyson thing is dark. Yeah, it is dark. And it's a dark reflection of who we are as a society and as people. Um, you know, so it is, it is tough to think about, but hopefully over the course of, you know, the last couple of hours, we're able to break it down and make it a little bit more digestible for people, <laughs> if not a little funny, you know, it, it, at times, but uh, hey, I had a lot of fun reliving it. Um, definitely reliving my teenage years in some respects since my early boxing fandom but uh, dude I, I do appreciate you putting in the work too because I know we both we did a lot of research for this yeah it was well it was just fun I've seen the big like major Holyfield fights but I haven't kind of gone through the resume like I did for this just to get a better sense and it both makes you appreciate him a lot more for how much he's been through to get where he is and also just like he's an interesting figure in the sport because he's he's had these amazing battles, but like nobody was he was always the B side, always the B side in all of these major fights. And it's just curious because he's such a wonderful B side. Um, but I think, boy, I wouldn't want to go through what he did to get where he did. And then he lost all of it, obviously. But um, 
a, a very interesting foe to somebody like Tyson. Yeah, definitely uh, an interesting foil and not necessarily as opposite as many people think, needless to say, which hopefully we've right. been able to hopefully we've been able to lay that down a little bit, but Hey dude, again, I, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to watch this all back. And again, a lot fun. of fun, definitely a lot of fun. Meanwhile, though, you know, uh, the show is on social media and on YouTube. So for instance, if you tune into the knuckles and gloves podcast on podcast apps, you know, audio wise, please subscribe, leave a rating, those kinds of things helpful. If you do tune in on YouTube, also subscribe. Uh, if you would leave a comment question, those things are also helpful. We like hearing from you, but we're on social media being Facebook and Instagram. But as far as individually, how that goes, Bryn Jonathan Butler is on Twitter, for instance, as Brinicio. B-R-I-N-I-C-I-O. Me, Patrick Connor. I'm on there. Twitter as Patrick M. Connor. And hopefully we'll see you there. Bryn, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Look forward to the next one. Talk All to you right, soon. Take it easy, everybody. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.